All right. I have a lot of notes today. Um, and it feels like this. Like, where am I? Um, I spent a lot of time getting ready, um, but a lot of it was in in study and in thought, and I didn't get to the final phases of organizing until way too late in the game. And so I feel like I'm a little behind the curve in, in uh, having an orderly presentation this morning, so bear with me, and, uh, and the Lord will be gracious and hope he, uh, he works. So um, let's do ask for help. God, we, we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, uh, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Lord, that's our, that's our cry. That's what we stand on, that you are our help and you are our fortress. And so, God, would you help us this morning to hear well and to speak well and to love you well? That's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, this week there's no Kids Connect, so we're going to have a little kids uh, um, sermon here. Okay, this might be, parents, this might be a stretch for your kids, but that's, I think, a great thing because it gives you an opportunity to ask them questions and follow up and say, did you get that? So, maybe make yourself a note and then uh, be ready to talk with your kids so can you put that uh, equation up there? First off, kids, let me ask you a couple questions. Is the color yellow? Is it square or is it round? Neither. <laughs> how about this? How about how many hours are there in one mile? <laughs> Those that... That question doesn't make any sense, right? It's a nonsense question. But sometimes we have questions, and we feel like this is a legitimate thing. Uh, we've tried to understand God, and we have a category to understand Him, but it doesn't fit with what He is. And so we have a question, how can it be like this? And we're frustrated that, that we don't... That, that God doesn't give us a clear answer. But it's sometimes because we've asked such a bad question that it's not answerable. But then there are other types of questions, like this one, solve for X. And I don't know if you can see that, but I can't read it anyway. I can't tell you what it says. Uh, Daniel Miller wrote this up here. It's a question from calculus. And I can't answer that. Me neither. Yeah, absolutely. We can't get that one. Then let's go to the second, second slide here. Oh, it's too, too faint. But he takes a whole page to work it out. And in the end, he gets two answers. X is equal to 25, and X is also equal to negative 1. Either one of those two answers is an accurate value for X. Okay? So kids... Kids, what I'm trying to say here is, all right, what I'm trying to say is I couldn't get the step-by-step. Step. If Daniel tried to explain to me every step of the way what it's like, how to work this, I would be lost. I wouldn't get it. But when he tells me the answer is 25, I can believe that and I can receive that answer. 
So today, in our text, what we're going to look at is two things that are pretty mind-boggling for us. We don't get our heads around it. Jesus was God, and Jesus was a man. I don't get the step-by-step. How does that happen? But I can receive the answer. I can see the answer and say that makes sense. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. How can he be both? I don't get it. Step-by-step, how do I get that? Okay? Um, And another one that's in here is that the father turns his face away from the son, forsakes the son, but God is three in one. How can he do that? I don't know. But the Bible says that it's true. And here's a big, long answer. It's not hard for Daniel to explain this. He can do it. And God can explain exactly how Jesus was a man and how he was God and exactly how he turned his back on his son when he's one with him. But we may not be able to get the answer if he tells us. So that's a conversation for the car ride home. Okay, parents? (laughs) Okay. Uh, The... um, a couple of things here before we get into this. Dan asked me if I would talk about a psalm a few weeks ago, and I chose Psalm 22 because uh, I have questions about this psalm, and so I thought if I'm going to spend a lot of time studying and thinking about it, I want to answer my own questions. So selfishly, I chose this one. And I, one of my questions was, how can this be How do we understand this as a messianic psalm? It's something that David experienced, but it was fulfilled in Jesus. And how was it that David was writing something? Did he know what he was saying when he was writing it? Or was he writing from his own gut, the feelings that he had? And then it came about that it was much truer than what he realized. That's what I think the answer is is like uh, the high priest in Luke uh, 23, 46, it says, being high priest that year, he prophesied and said, don't you know it is expedient for you, it's good for you that one man should die than for the whole nation to perish. And he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest, he prophesied, okay? When the high priest says that, when he says it's good for you that one man should die, what he's saying is, You guys need to kill Jesus because everybody is trying to follow after him. Let him be done away with. His words are almost exactly right. And his what he means with those words is almost exactly the opposite of what God meant by it. Right? God God meant in a prophetic way, Jesus will give himself for the nation. The high priest meant get rid of this guy and keep the nation from following after him. So the prophet might not have a full picture of what he's saying. Now, I think David is not saying something opposite of what he's experiencing. He's having a parallel experience with Jesus. But the thing that he's saying is much truer than he knows. There's a lot of things that... David says figuratively that uh, Jesus fulfilled literally. They have pierced my hands and feet. They surround me. 
They, uh, I, can, I can see all of my bones. Um, they, they say, he trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. These things, they cast lots for my garments. These things came about in, a, in the physical history for Jesus. And then that's the way in which this is prophetic. It's a pretty amazing thing to, to realize. There's two people who are having this same experience, though Jesus is the more full one. So I wanted to... I think that that is how we interpret that, and I wanted to look more at that. Um, so that was one of the things that drew me to this psalm. Uh, one other thing that I feel like I need to say in a preface is uh, that I think we have a, um, a practical problem with the hypostatic union of Christ, which is that he was 100% God, 100% man. We get it, you know, uh, theoretically, we don't have a problem with that. We say it. We affirm it. But put Jesus in certain situations and then ask yourself, do you view him as 100% man here? I mean, when you put him in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to his father, Lord, I don't want to do this. Is there any way? Let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, let this pass from me. And he sweat great drops of blood. Do you visualize and think that Jesus was being tempted here as a man like we are? Or do you kind of have the subconscious thought that he's God? You know, like he's got the red cape. Yeah, yeah, he's crying, but those are God tears. You know, it's something. I don't know. Just... Uh, this might be a silly illustration, but I'm going for it. Um, in Lord of the Rings, Legolas and, and Gimli are having a competition to see who can drink the most intoxicating beverages, okay? Gimli, the, he's a dwarf. He thinks he's rough, tough. He thinks he can hold his own. Legolas, I don't know what he's got, some kind of regenerative powers or something. So he's not, not very affected. Uh, but they go through several rounds, and then camera comes back to Gimli, and he's standing there cross-eyed and staggering, and he, he passes out. And Gimli, uh, no, sorry, other way around. Uh, now, Legolas is like staring at his hand, like just silently, stupidly looking at his fingers and says, finally, like, I think I feel something. Like, it's finally getting to me. And I just wonder if we have an idea for Jesus like that, that, yeah, he went through the same things. Yeah, they both drank the same amount of cups, but it affected Gimli. We suffer. Jesus didn't really endure like that, he, but he endured the cross. We, we have a hard time knowing Jesus as a man because we think well, Jesus wasn't really, I mean, God can't be tempted by evil, neither tempteth he any man. I mean, how is it tempting when Satan says, here, have all the kingdoms of the world? He's God. Is that tempting? I don't know, but the Bible says Jesus, Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And I think it makes kind of nonsense out of so many things like Jesus 
uh, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If he only knew grief from a long distance away. God cannot die, but Jesus was killed at the hands of sinful men. God knows all things, but Jesus had to grow in wisdom and in stature. This is calculus. <laughs> I will believe God's answer, but I don't, I don't get my head around that. And I, I think it's okay. We're going to go back and forth with not understanding how this fits together. And let's be okay with that and not try to make it simple or get frustrated and just choose, he was just God, and just camp out in that frame of mind. Because I think we won't understand Jesus as a, as a sympathetic high priest. You know, So that's all preface. It's way too much preface. <laughs> so because I've got way too much to say, um, I, what I wanted to do with this was to go a whole sermon looking through the Psalm 22 from David, David's vantage point. And then I wanted to go from the other side and see it fulfilled in Jesus in a bigger way. Um, and I ended up with a book and not a sermon. And so uh, I'm going to just say I had to downsize and downsize, and I, I don't want to lose you. So I want to make sure I'm over clear here at the beginning and just say main point right here is that Jesus as a man, overcame suffering and temptation by faith. There's a verse, would you pull up First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. This, I want to kind of couple these two, Psalm, Psalm 22 and First Peter 2, uh, 21 through 24, and just view those two together. So know that we're going to be coming back to that. But verse 23 uh, says... Um, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, the man, kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He overcame by faith, trusting in his Father, you will judge justly. You will, I will submit my cause before you. That's the same thing that David did. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from hearing my words? Yet you are holy. Is his two verses into complaining to God, where are you? He says, you are holy, meaning you are other. You are in a category by yourself, you are different than sinful man. You are holy. You are other. You are always the one who is doing what is right. I trust you. You are holy. Job had this same attitude. Though he slay me, I will trust him. You are always doing what is right. Though all the circumstances scream out, what on earth, Lord? Yet I will trust him. And Jesus kept continually entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So let's, uh, I want to read uh, back to verse 21 of First Peter here. Um, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So look, it, we might think that Christ suffered for us. So now we don't. He was in our place, so we don't. But it says, to this purpose you have been called. Because Christ suffered for you, he left you an example to follow in his steps. So we've got to answer, what is that? But let's go to the next verse. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So he, verse 24 fits it out, fills it out. He, he bore our punishment on the tree. So what's the example that we follow? Our, we're not bearing our punishment. He bore our punishment. What's, what's the example that we follow? We follow his example of faith, of the pattern of entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator, not reviling in, ret in return, patiently waiting for the Lord. Okay, so now let's go to Psalm 22. I hope that kind of some of that background will help us to see Psalm the meaning of Psalm 22 at the first glance, and so we'll be able to go right through it. Charles Spurgeon says about, um, about Psalm 22 that David says these things like a star. He experiences them first and experiences them like a star. But once Jesus comes, he is like the sun that rises and you no longer see the stars because he overpowers so much. I feel like that's a great way to encapsulate what is happening here in Psalm 22. Um, I think Spurgeon overstates it. And he says, he says, and once you see the sun, you won't care about the star. I think the powerful thing is to see them together, to see that he sympathizes with us. We have something common here, that we cry out, Lord, where are you? And yet entrust ourselves to him, and he works deliverance for us. So I can pick on Spurgeon because he's not here. So, um, Psalm 22, we're getting, no, waste no time in getting to the point. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Yet you are holy. Yet you are holy. You are other. You are always the one who is doing what is right. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. So I feel like here's the, the first couple of verses. The first two verses are a complaint. God, where are you? And then faith comes in and says, you are holy. I know who you are. You are always the one doing what is right. Our fathers trusted you. Look at the past. You have delivered. Faith is building on God's sure foundation here of who he has been. They cried and were rescued. 
They trusted they were not put to shame. And maybe he puts the, I don't know, maybe, maybe David puts the pin down for a minute. Maybe he goes away for a couple of days and comes back and brings his complaint again. I don't know. But I'm a worm and not a man. What's this story? We just flipped pages. We just went right back to where we were. I think he's saying, like, our fathers trusted. They were delivered. You are praised. You are holy. The fathers who trusted in you, who would that be? That'd be like Abraham, Moses, Joseph. Do we despise them? Do we scorn them? Or we count them as heroes, blessed, delivered by the Lord. I think he's saying, Lord, you've been this before. You've delivered, but here I am, not delivered. Here I am, a worm, despised, forsaken. I'm not a man. I'm not, I'm not in this category with those who are rescued. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. He loves him so much. Let him, let him rescue him. That's so biting because it's true. The Lord does delight in him. And maybe for Jesus on the cross, even more stinging when the person that is saying this to you is the person you're giving yourself for. And maybe even for the moment when God has forsaken him, the Father has turned his back on him. There was a time when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then there was a time where God turned his face away. And that's when they're hurling these insults. I just think, you know, there's such a difference between a day when the sun is shining and all is well and you're full of joy and the presence of the Lord and somebody says a crossword to you, you can endure that and it's not a big deal. And then there are other days when you are ready to fly off the handle for no good reason. You're just begging somebody to say something because you've got your fist ready, you know? And... uh Where is this for Jesus? What's the level of temptation? As we consider Jesus as man going through this, what's the level of temptation for Jesus here on the cross? Up all night, drug around town from trial to trial unjustly, spit on, mocked, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, mocking, painful, scourging, whipping, carry your cross until you stagger, pierced hands and feet, giving yourself for the people who mock you. And I think, right, with all of that that's there, it's easy to just say, Lord, no, and, and to feel some kind of, like, pity, maybe, for Jesus. But Jesus, I don't think here wants our pity. I, I think he wants our worship. You know, it's not because he was pain that, that we should be saying, thank you, Lord. It's because 
the restraint, the, the otherness of God in that moment of Jesus, who kept entrusting himself to God, who judges justly, and, and God was judging justly. Jesus became sin. If you're entrusting yourself to justice and you are sin, there's not a source of comfort. Where do you go? He kept entrusting himself. Lord, I know you are holy. They cried. You answered. I'm not like that. I'm I'm despised. They mock me. They make mouths at me. You can get into an argument with somebody that you love. It has to almost be with someone that you love where this happens. Um, Where you leave reason behind. And you're making your case to them. And they say, (laughs) (laughs) They make mouths at you. They wag their head. They, like, that moment, they are no longer asking for anything but just punch him in the head. Come on. Now, I don't think Satan was pulling any punches with Jesus on the cross. You know, he's doing anything to incite him, to, to forsake entrusting himself to his father in this moment. When reviled, he didn't revile in return. He entrusted himself to the Lord instead. Jesus is going back and forth between, where are you, Lord? And I know who you are. Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. In this time, he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. When he's got no strength, emaciated, his bones stand out, his heart, not just physically, mentally exhausted, but his heart like wax. When God is his joy and his father has turned his face from him, I I don't know what is his hope. His hope is the just God, is the justice of God. He has faith in his father. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet, and I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's just a game to them. The very last things that I have, they divide it up and make make a game out of it. Mocking. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. 
save me from the mouth of the lion. These are just all imperative. Lord, come. Lord, come. And then a sudden, no explanation in this text, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name. And the rest of the psalm goes on in a praise to the Lord. He is overcome. Here is victory. And here is the celebration of it all. And we don't know what happened for David as he wrote these things. Like, where was the, where's the sudden break? Where's the deliverance of the Lord come in? We don't know and we don't, we don't need to know. I think what we need to see is just the pattern of, God, where are you? Though you slay me, I will hope. And the victory that comes in the end from it. For sake of time, let's skip down to the very last verse. They come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That last line, that he has done it, is apparently in the original language very, very close to it is finished. And some people uh, think perhaps Jesus may have quoted this whole psalm on the on the cross, you know, he may have come with this with this in mind, this as the, as a source of strength for his heart. That he has done it; it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The last words, entrusting himself to God, who judges justly. So that's really the main thing that I wanted to say. Mostly, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary. Hebrews 12.2 Consider him, how he overcame. (laughs) Follow in his pattern, entrusting your case to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to his father and he became sin, and yet was entrusting himself to justice, though he became the guilty one, taking our punishment. And when he had drunk the cup that he prayed, Lord, if there's another way, I don't want to do this anymore. If there's another way, let it be. When he had drunk it down to the last, then it was mission accomplished. Then it was, it is finished. Then, as Acts says a couple of times, uh, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay, to see corruption. What happens, they're interpreting that psalm as he's going to raise him from the dead. When justice is satisfied by the wrath of God being spent on Jesus, Now, the justice of God says he didn't sin when he became sin. He remained holy, and he will be resurrected from the dead. Jesus was forsaken in a way that's different than ours. David experienced something. He said, Lord, here's this circumstance. Where are you? Come, deliver, rescue Jesus was forsaken to pay the penalty for our sin. And until 
the mission was accomplished, he was entirely forsaken, though he was not ultimately forsaken because God resurrected him from the dead because he remained faithful to the end. And Jesus was forsaken in a way that purchased something for us. He purchased a promise for us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what Jesus said to us. But that good gift doesn't come to us sinners free. It comes at the purchase of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus was forsaken to purchase a promise that we will never be forsaken. I just think if we have this mindset, if we walk as, as David and Job, though he slay me, I will hope, I will trust in him. Jesus has, has made this promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And circumstances, God doesn't promise to come in and change circumstances but he will never abandon his own. That's what communion is about. That's what we remember, that he was forsaken totally until the wrath of God was spent on him. And because of that, we celebrate that we will never be forsaken. His body was broken his blood was poured out to purchase every good gift. Every good gift of God is yes and amen to us through Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much for sending Jesus. He came to demonstrate to us the love that you showed towards us, the love that you have towards us. He came to secure for us every blessing that we receive. And uh, your grace is more than enough for our trials. Your justice is perfect. And we can trust ourselves to you. And we can wait in patience for the day when you will deliver Jesus, we thank you so much that, uh, that you patiently endured the cross for the joy that was set before you of redeeming a people for yourself. Lord, help us. Help us to follow you and help us to remember, consider you so that we don't grow weary. Oh God, you you turn every, every, every setback into something that is a milestone that we praise you for. By faith it happens. Lord, would you give us faith? Would you give us eyes to see and patience to endure? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.